A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, this is Victoria Meyer. Welcome back to The Chemical Show. As 2023 is drawing to a close, I want to just extend a, a word of thanks to all of our loyal listeners and remind you to, number one, go back and listen to the entire podcast catalog. We've got 140 episodes and more coming. So if you are wondering about a leader or an approach or a topic, it's there. It's in our back catalog. And secondly, share it with a friend, share it with a colleague, continue getting the word out about The Chemical Show. Thanks. Today, I am speaking with George Kernke, who is the founder and president of Ascend Commercial Solutions. George spent the first 35 years of his career with Procter & Gamble, first in a variety of um, operations and supply chain roles, and then in the broader consumer business, and then later in P&G Chemicals, where he honed his sales and leadership expertise. We're going to be talking about customer centricity, sales solutions, and setting yourself up for success in 2024. George, welcome to The Chemical Show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. So you started your career as an engineer and operations specialist, first in consumer products, and then you moved into chemicals. And you obviously have spent a, a significant part of your careers in sales and marketing. First of all, just what got you started in that space and what was significant about your evolution in your career? Yeah, no, it's, I've listened to several of your podcasts and you've got people that have made this logical transition into sales and marketing, right? Logical into the chemical industry. And I think I've probably stumbled my way to where I am today. And in the process, one of the key learnings I got is to always be learning embracing learning and embrace change. So even before I was with PNG, it's a career of irony, right? Hmm. When I, before I was with PNG, I was with Kimberly Clark for two years in one of their plants. And in my desire, my career desire was to go into the headquarter organization and lead from headquarters. And so that's why I ended up moving to PNG. And believe it or not, three years later, I was in a PNG plant. I put in a new bar soap operation and we started up and I was having the time of my life. And, and yeah. um, shortly after that, I moved into the chemical operation. The irony, I ran the chemical operation. I hated chemistry in high school. That's why I became a mechanical engineer. I hated chemistry. That's awesome. I loved running a chemical plant. And then fast forward, I ended up running a juice, a concentrate juice plant before I was asked to come into sales and actually to come into chemical sales. And now me, George, in the plant is looking at salespeople like, for those that are old enough to remember, WKRP Cincinnati, Herb Torp. That was my vision of what a salesperson was. And yeah, I didn't need that. And it took right. six months before uh, the head of sales, North America Sales, invited me to dinner on the New Jersey shore. 
And it was an offer I couldn't refuse. As a plant person, having dinner on the Jersey Shore, he invited me to come and join call and learn more about sales. And I'll tell you, I loved it. I loved what I saw, and I've never looked back. And, and you know, for me, one of the key learnings of that is as you look at your career and your career progressions, and even in selling, never say never is one of the key lessons I learned. Yeah. Never say never and never say always, except when it comes to trust. But always mm -hmm. be open to new opportunities and embrace change. And yeah. as I sit here today, I am so happy I had the opportunity to do things I did. And I'm exciting and embracing the new change in my life being with Ascend Commercial Solutions. Yeah, that's excellent. In fact, yeah, I, I like that. I think you do have to be ready to embrace change. And what I always say, my career saying is, personal saying is, when opportunity knocks, open the door. Yeah. Like you that's don't even know saying. what's on the other side of that door. You just need to open the door and see what's there. That's a great saying. Back when we, I don't know if they still do this today, when we we're interviewing for our jobs, the standard question is, where will you be in five years? And that is such an obsolete question nowadays yeah. because you'll never know where you'll be in five years. I don't know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But I think that's right. Enjoy the journey. Absolutely. What was the biggest challenge for you? You had to be sold to take that sales job, which is a little bit ironic, but what yeah. was the biggest challenge when you shifted from supply chain and operations into commercial roles? Yeah. I, when I think about the challenges, I think it's more of what you're able to leverage. So fast forward 10 years after I came to chemical sales, I was actually um, elected to what's called the William Proctor Sales Master Program, which P&G back then had 25,000 salespeople globally. And wow. there was a nominal 20 of us every two years that got elected to this, let's call it the Society of expert sellers, right? And what the challenge was to learn the technology. Mm. So PNG makes everything into a technology. PNG is not a producer of consumer products. It's a generator of technology. And it issues over 3,000 patents a year. You'd never think about that when you look at Tide and Downey and Dawn on the shelf, Pampers and et cetera. But PNG is... It finds a way to drive technology and systems into everything it does. And so being able to take the understanding of manufacturing systems and structure and apply it to sales, take the systems for people management of a manufacturing plant, and you think about selling is managing expectations with your buyer, with your sales team, with your cross-functional resources. So by taking what I learned in supply chain manufacturing operations, I believe it made me a better salesperson. It made me a better leader. It made me a better, better um, sales manager. Yeah, that's the interesting. The other thing I'll tell you is in PNG operations, you measure everything. And I think right. that's true. All manufacturing operations, you measure everything. And by taking that same approach to selling, Measuring how I'm doing, how my organization is doing, mm -hmm. how well you're meeting the customer needs, and being able to track performance has enabled me to be able to build those countermeasures when, let's say, things happen. 
I had not appreciated, and I like the way that you've articulated P&G as really this process and technical organization, because I really think of P&G as a brand powerhouse, right? Now, on the other hand, I've sold when I was at Shell, sat across the table negotiating some pretty hefty and heavy agreements with P&G. And so see it certainly from a the business discipline that's there. But I think most of us or many of us think about P&G as really a powerhouse brand, right? Mm -hmm. With a real deep focus and discipline on customer understanding and particularly consumer markets, right? Because I'm not sure that any household in the US and maybe globally does not have a P&G product or more, at least one, probably at more. At least one, yes. Uh, somewhere in their house. How did that translate to B2B customers, right? So I think of P&G as just being very consumer centric. You've now identified that they're very technical and technology centric. How does that actually translate to B2B sales and customers? Yeah. So when you think about P&G, all of those systems and structures, they are very focused on the retail selling. They are very focused on the consumer. And that's true. If you take an approach of selling is selling and basic structure of selling is the same, you do align, close and execute with your customer. And then you start under reapplying those tools that enables you to be successful even in the B2B selling. So we do have small business units, PNG chemicals. We have PNG professional. We actually have some small bulk norm acquisitions, which allow a very entrepreneurial mindset, mm -hmm. uh, you don't have the organization size that allows you to be very functional. You end up being more cross-functional. So, you know, in PNG Chemicals, it is a very entrepreneurial group. Uh, we do wear many hats, which is very consistent with many of the customers in the chemical space. In the chemical yeah. space, you have Bob and his company up to the very large multi-billion dollar multinational companies. And so let's say we fit in the middle of that as P&G chemicals. The beauty is we have the resources and the capability and the knowledge building of P&G uh, subsidiary, but uh, we do have to reapply those in a more B2B context. Yeah. So obviously you've learned a lot in your 35 years at P&G in, in the industry. How does it translate to what you're doing now at Ascend? Would it tell us maybe a little bit about Ascend and what you're doing with that group? Yeah, no, it's when I look at what happened during COVID. So I even looked at my team and in my last role with PNG, I had teams in Geneva, Singapore, and the US. And I watched the dynamics between the customer and the seller. And what I found is over the COVID period, we had multi-generations of buyer-seller relationships that transitioned to the point that in many cases, the buyer and the seller never stood across, well, they stood across a, a Zoom call, but they never sat across a table. They never shook hands. That was an area where relationship building eroded over the COVID period. The other thing that happened in selling, what I found was if you had inventory, you had sales. If you didn't have inventory, you didn't have sales. And by the way, if you had inventory, you had a lot of sales and the buyer wasn't developing as many products. Their labs were closed. 
And so the sale was a transaction as opposed to a business development. And as we've exited now, you take a look at where we are today. Where we are today, we've got business development for new energy technologies. We have environmental um, business development, either through the bio-friendly surfactants or less impact or recycling of plastics. And so there's a lot of business development happening today. But over the last three years, our salespeople were building business. They were transacting sales. Yeah. So, so we moved I to a very looked, transactional time frame. Absolutely. And so as I looked at what I wanted to do next, I saw an opportunity to take the skills, structures, capabilities in selling and building the business and in growing and developing your sales teams. And I, instead of working that with PNG, which would have been great, I can now broaden it to a, a greater industrial base and um, starting to send to do yeah. And so two key programs now. So the same challenges on selling, uh, we're addressing with the intuitive selling process, which is a workshop. It's a multi-day workshop through selling skills, building relationships, customer centricity, and key account management, key account leadership. The other is the coaching to live program, which is how do you develop your sales leadership to develop, grow, empower your sales teams to be successful. And those are the two that are taking most of my time right now. That's great. You talk about the multiple generations in the workforce, particularly when we think about COVID, which was this, we can almost call it a business experiment. I know it had a lot of other things going on worldwide and health-wise and all that stuff, but you think about just kind of just a little interesting Petri dish in terms of how business relationships and selling changed. Um, I don't know, maybe it went back a few decades, maybe it just was its own spontaneous thing. But I guess more importantly, do you see different requirements coming out of it for selling? Do you see different needs for different generations when we think about who's in the workforce today and who we're doing business with? Are, what do you see in that space? Well, I first gotta compliment you on the Petri dish pun. That was a good one for COVID. But you know, I'm not the only person that left a multinational company coming out of COVID. Yeah. And, and so I see there has been an experience of what selling was like before COVID that may not exist at the same level within our selling organizations. And so you've got a younger sales team on the front line. And the question I ask my clients is, how well have we developed their capabilities mm. to build intimate relationship and engagement with the customers? How well do they understand the business development process and that they are able to motivate and influence their customers to engage on your products yeah. as they go forward in business development? Yeah. And then on the flip side, the same is true in the buying space, right? Yes. Whether it be procurement, whether it be anyone across the value chain that you're really trying to sell to, because it's gotta be beyond procurement, but there are a lot of new people with new processes and new experiences. Absolutely, absolutely. And when you think about customer centricity, I hear a lot of people talking about understand the customer and empathy. Mm. And that's true, yeah. but that's true across the board in any interpersonal relationship. Yeah. So when you think about customer centricity in a B2B, 
I like to think about what are the structures and systems that you are bringing and putting in place to ensure that you're able to, using those tools, build that intimacy, build that engagement. And, and not only on the seller-buyer level, you think about, you mentioned those other non-buyer influences within the commercial process. So you got technical development going how well do we understand the technical development process as a seller so that you're able to bring your team to that table? How well do you understand the business strategies of that customer so you're able to bring your team appropriately to engage on customer strategy? And customer centricity is not just the empathy, niceness, easy to get along. It's also building results for that customer that enables them to be able to be successful in their business. And I like to tell my clients, they hear this many times. If my customer is not successful in their markets, by definition, my competitor's customer is successful in that That's market. right. Which That's one right. do you want? Because somebody is successful in the market. Someone's going to be successful. Yeah. I want my customer. And as I talk to the buying influences, I say the same thing. If your supplier is not successful in this commercial enterprise called doing business together, your competitor supplier is going to be more successful. Is that really what we want here? Or how do we build that joint business plan that we succeed and deliver our objectives and our competitors do not? I like that. And I think your, your customer centricity, is, as you've cited, is it goes beyond the empathy, right? Or elements of the empathy is also just understanding what do they really value? Absolutely. What's on their scorecard, um, both personal and corporate? And how do you sell for success? Because I think often the chemical industry is really good at selling to specifications. We think people are buying product and the reality is product is really easy to replicate. People know that great scientists and product developers have figured out how to replicate the product. What you can't replicate is the rest of it. The value, the solutions that are offered, the winning together that comes with it. And, and that scorecard you mentioned is when you understand your customer's scorecard yeah. and you align your scorecard with that customer's scorecard, so that you're actually reporting together. And I've got experience where we build joint business plans with our customers, where we were working off of one sheet of paper, which was measuring our mutual success. It had our success factors. Yeah. It had their success factors. And we measured together and then quarterly reviewed yeah. how we were doing against those objectives. I don't think that happened a lot during COVID. No. And so as we look at coming out of COVID, as we look at being successful 2023, 2024 and beyond, we need to get back to how do you bridge those scorecards, build those robust joint business plans so that our relationship, our business relationship is successful. Yeah. So George, we were chatting a little bit before we hit the record button about some of the challenges and differences that you're seeing that I'm seeing in companies that we talk to, those that are a little bit stuck, waiting for the clock to turn on 24 before they make change, others that are recognizing they 
need to start making change now so they hit the ground running. Can, can you elaborate on just what you're seeing in the market and how companies are responding? Yeah, it's very typical though in the markets, isn't it? That you've got some, we're all facing the same challenges. Very few companies out here are sitting back and saying, this is wonderful. Life is great. We're moving forward in happiness. Everyone's looking at what's 2024 going to be. I think you made the comment earlier, which was people looked at measuring 2023 versus a very successful 2022. I like to look at, and I've always called it the five-year high water mark. I don't yeah. want to look back one year. One year is, I understand. But I like to look at, especially now, five years back. Because I want to see where were we before that asterisk called COVID? Where are we today? And where are we going in the future? Companies that did really good in COVID may be luck. It may be they had the inventory, they had the domestic production, they had everything going for them so that they were able to transact those orders from the buyer. Yeah. Companies that didn't do good may have been unlucky because they were on the wrong side of the supply chain constraints. Mm. Now, let's learn from what we've done there and build our business plans, knowing that, recognizing what our true capabilities are was 2018, 2019, and how do we go forward to 2024 and beyond? Yeah. There's companies that are looking at that and saying, I'm building 2024. There's yeah. other companies in my experience, and I think you had mentioned your experience as well, that are saying, I got to close down, build walls, and make sure and get through 2023, and are not making that investment, hoping to make it in 2024. I think that may be a challenge in 2024 as well. Absolutely. I think you lose a month. If you lose even one month out of 12, that's 8% of your business. Yeah. We could all use 8% more business, I think, in this current environment. Well, the other thing is, if, are you confident 2024 is going to be better or are you hoping 2024 is going to be better? And you know, hope is not a strategy. So let's no. build the structure and the strategies that are going to make success regardless of what hits us. Yeah. So one of the things at the chemical summit, which was held here in October of 23 of this year, we talked a lot about um, the coming economics, current and future, and actually had a very high powered economist from ITR economics come in and speak. And we talked actually a lot. He really talked about, let's make sure we're looking at rolling averages to your point. Don't compare yourself to the high watermark of 2022 because so many people are like, oh, this year is terrible compared to a year that was unimaginably good and not for everyone, right? They were winners and losers, right. but I think that's really important to think about what that is. Um, I'm also going to use this actually as a chance to plug the fact that we are actually mark selling access to the recordings from that chemical summit. So we'll have it linked here into the podcast and elsewhere that if people want to hear from both economists as well as business leaders across the industry of how they're looking at trends and opportunities for the chemical industry, head over to the chemical summit and you'll be able to get access to this year's event. Yeah. All right. And you know, now I, back I, to you, George. Well, I reflect back early when I was selling, I had a customer and it was an entrepreneur. He started his own company. He, we were at 
a trade event in Florida on his yacht, having a glass of wine and mm. celebrating our last year of doing business together. And I asked him, I said, how did you start this? You must have had help. And his comment to me was, I started this company in 1973 in my garage. Now, for those of you that remember 1973, it was not a strong economic year. Yeah. And his comment was, even in a recession, I made the investment to build my business in my garage to where we are today. Yeah. And that's something that keeps resonating with me, that Mm -hmm. if you wait for the good years, you lose the opportunity to be successful in the less good years. Yeah. The hard work comes. It's the hard work that you put in during Mm -hmm. downtimes that allows you to be more successful during the good times. And there are winners in every economic environment, right? If there weren't, we would, I don't know what we would be doing. We'd be cavemen still or something there, but but there were winners in every economic environment. That's for sure. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I think your point is well taken that. So two points, by the way, George. So one is that you can start businesses in downturn. You can have growth and success in down economic markets. And we don't really know what 2024 is going to be, although many are predicting it to be a, I'm just going to call it a flat year. I hate to call it a down year, but let's call it a flat year. And so there's great opportunity there. The second piece, and, and the fact that you were having dinner on somebody's yacht tells me one of the many reasons that you really like staying in sales leadership is, is this aspect of there's more yachts in sales than there are in manufacturing. Yes, I will say that I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed the opportunities to meet yeah. very close people. Right. And so I've met some small business people that are struggling mm-hmm. and have been able to tailor my plans to help them su- succeed as yeah. best I could. I've met some that have been very lucky. And what's the saying? The harder I work, the luckier I get. Yeah. Uh, I have on some people that have done very well. And frankly, I think I've done okay too. You have started your own business as yeah. well. And as many of us entrepreneurs are trying to one day be successful in our ventures as well. Yeah, that's right. So what do you see as really critical? We're talking a little bit about 24. What is going to be critical to commercial success today and tomorrow and next year? Uh, it's, it's when I think about when I started this venture, I thought I was going to be working more on the front line itself. And working and building that sales confidence within the the selling teams. And I've spent as much, if not more time working on sales leadership. And I, you know, as I look at what happens in 2024, I think we've got a lot of very willing, desiring salespeople, hungry salespeople that want to succeed in in what they're doing. And I believe we've got leaders that want to do the same. I believe it's going to take good coaching, developing, and leading your sales teams. And that includes getting them the skill development and the investment in their capabilities that will engage them. And and part of coaching to win is not only being a leader, and and we talk a lot about the leadership versus management dilemma, Mm -hmm. right? We also talk about how do you bring motivation, those same motivations you bring to a customer, to the buyer, how do you influence and motivate your sales team 
to go beyond execution, to go into excellence. And so when I think about what we need to do 2024 and on, I think we need to start at the top, build that leadership capability, that coaching mentality, the desire to, and when we talk about sales leadership, I also, in the context of selling, is not selling, transacting. It's also, as a sales leader, you're bringing all the resources behind you to your customer to engage that customer in a, in a cross-functional methodology, mm -hmm. right? And so how do you work internally with your organization to bring that customer in? How do you work with your sales team to understand how they bring that customer in? And then how do you bring your organization to the customer? And when you think about customer centricity, that's what it is. So George, one of the things I hear from people, and I'm sure you do as well, is, you know, cause, is that they're so busy in the day to day that they don't have time, that they don't I'm have so time to coach, to lead, to mentor, to develop. And I find this in particular true it's like companies of all sizes, but certainly the small to mid-sized companies that are running a little bit leaner, that are maybe fighting a little bit harder for the business that they have, that have greater expectations on the individual leaders because the scope of their business, of their business responsibilities is much greater. How do you respond to that? What, you know, what do you tell people? And priority setting is key. So if you think about if you think about which customers and at what level do you bring your customer, your entire organization to that customer engagement, yeah. it's probably not at your most transactional customer. It probably should be at your most strategic customer. And so my last article was about customer segmentation. Mm -hmm. And it is absolutely critical that you understand which are your most strategic customers and those are the ones that you're going to bring your organization to joint success, which are your most transactional customers. And recognize that if you treat your most strategic customers at the same level you treat your most transactional customers, by definition, your most strategic customer is a transactional customer. Yeah. So, you know, there's a baseline. So when we talk, there's, I like to talk about, you can't, every you can't not service your customers. So there's the baseline of expectation that you got to meet. And that is what you're promising to your customers. Whatever it is you're promising to the marketplace, you need to deliver. It needs to deliver a baseline of results and success to all customers. Mm. But now when you're wanting to drive those most strategic customers, that's where you put your priority. That's where you put your organization. And until you segment your customers, um, you're not able to do that. The same is with your organization. So you're going to have some people in your organization that's been selling for 20 years. And they understand the selling process. And they probably don't need somebody sitting in their car, driving with them to a customer hall. You're going to have others that surely either through energy level, they're new to the business, they're new to selling. That's where you need to put that priority and that's where you need to develop. Again, there's a base expectation of what you do for your entire sales team, but you need to identify where you prioritize that effort to drive that biggest differential in result. Yeah.
and discipline. It's prioritization and discipline, right? I just had this conversation yesterday with a leader who talked about segmentation a little bit. And one of the, where people fail, where companies and leaders fail in effectively managing and segmenting their business and executing across their customer centric processes is discipline. Like Mm -hmm. you got to do what you say you're going to do. So it's that baseline, but it's also the aspects of segmentation and prioritization and being disciplined with it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, George, this has been really good. I am glad we've got a chance to get connected, to share some of your insights um, and more with the fans of The Chemical Show. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed it, Victoria. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks everyone for listening. Keep listening, keep following, keep sharing, and we will talk with you again soon. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.